TVA My Dinner is an attempt at demonstrating intellectual civility while discussing popular entertainment. Brought to you by DarkCrazy.com We have not even to risk the adventure alone, for the heroes of all time have gone before us. The labyrinth is thoroughly known. We have only to follow the thread of the hero path. And where we had thought to find an abomination, we shall find a god. And where we had thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. Where we had thought to travel outward, we shall come to the center of our own existence. And where we had thought to be alone, we shall be with all the world. In the year 2007 AD, DarkCrazy.com launched the last of its eighth-dimensional probes. Theorizing that the teachings of popular culture could save the world, Dr. Shang, but Gilberto stepped into the TV Ate My Dinner Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself in a dimension not of sight but of sound, trapped in an imaginary non-space called the interwebs. His only guide on this journey was Greg, the gruff co-founder of the project, who appeared in the form of a voice Sean could only sometimes hear. While lost in non-space, they joined with other explorers who were adrift on the seas of fate, such as Hazel Lynn and the mighty Mandrew. I am Bron, an artificial intelligence from the 8th dimension who has chosen to join their crusade, to combat the growing toxicity and negativity that threatened to corrode the very fabric of the internet. We've been running ever since, striving to point out what once went wrong, in movies and TV, on a never-ending struggle to suddenly civilize the information age. In the continuing voyages of a make-believe space coaster that's inexplicably known as TV Ate My Dinner. You're listening to TV Ate My Dinner. My name is Sean, and I am sitting here with Greg and Lynn. I saw the death of Superman Lives this weekend. Have you guys heard what? of that? No, I haven't the heard guy of was, it. He was crowdsourcing this, uh, but he did get it made. It's a documentary about Superman Lives, which was this Superman movie that they were working on in, at, I guess, the end of the 90s. Oh, was this they were the trying to put this Nicholas thing Cage together. Nicholas Cage was going to be in it. Tim Barton was going to be directing it. This was going to happen. Like the the mythology of this movie is really interesting because it started out with Kevin Smith writing the screenplay. So you think this has got to be the weirdest movie ever. Like Kevin Smith wrote the script and Tim Burton's going to direct it and Nicholas Cage is going to play Superman. <laughs> like this is a weird concept. Yeah. But but technically speaking, by the time Tim Burton was around, he'd thrown out the Kevin Smith script. So. At that point, they were working off a different... Like, he's working with Wesley Strick, who's, like, one of his regular screenwriters. and But they did have Nicolas Cage cast, and they were working on it. They were in pre-production for a long time. You, you don't think about how much money people get paid to 
to work on movies that never get made at all. But like you're talking millions by the time you've engaged Nicolas Cage and Tim Burton to develop this movie. Oh, yeah, you you know, you've spent down. $10 million to decide not to make it. But yeah, that's another thing. I don't remember if they mentioned that in the documentary, if I read it somewhere else. But, you know, the whole idea of, of Marlon Wayans being cast uh, to be Robin in Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. He was cast and they ended up not going with that. But he still gets residuals. Like, he was hired. Yeah, contractually. He gets residuals from that for having not been in it. That's a really interesting concept. But it's a really... If you get a chance, try to find this this documentary because the guy does it from... It's called The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened. The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened. Because that does sound interesting because I've heard Kevin Smith talk about it before. It's yeah, a really neat actually, idea have, because because it's, a, uh, it, I, I don't know, but if I've ever mentioned a movie called Yodorovsky's Dune, it's very similar to that where, you know, there was there's a really fun documentary about uh, he was going to make a, an adaptation of Dune that ended up getting taken away from him and never ended up getting made. But the documentary is about all these wild ideas he had to make this movie. And you're like, wow, that would have been really interesting. I'm not sure if that would have been good. But it would have been interesting. And that's sort of like the death of Superman lives. It's like this would have definitely been groundbreaking in the sense of there would have – there definitely wouldn't have been anything else like it if they had made this movie. And the guy approaches it in earnest that way. It's not it's not a goof on like what were they thinking kind of stuff. It was like how did this get conceived and, and what happened and why didn't it get made and all this stuff just – tracking it from start to finish and it's a, just a fascinating story of of what they were interested in doing with this this superman movie i hope someone makes a documentary about how that awful fantastic four movie got made i'm sure because it was a fake movie basically but they didn't know it that's an interesting story but you which, know what you can watch you that movie about? the first fantastic four uh, the corman i'm talking one. about the most recent one i think oh, that they, maybe, really? maybe the bad history of the fantastic four movies would be a good documentary that would be because uh, just the Carmen one. I I actually think that's a lot of fun to watch. Like as far as it like is. this guy's making a joke movie, that's better than the one that just came out. Yeah, I would definitely prefer to watch fun. the Carmen one because it, it doesn't, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually so fun. it's entertaining. Like the 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 Fantastic Four, regardless of what you think of what they tried to do, nobody's coming out of the movie saying that it's entertaining. So if it's yeah. not fun to watch, like the other one What's is goofy, but it's fun. It's not so to bad see what they try to good. do with it, right? Yeah, it was just bad enough to be bad. Yeah. But it also you couldn't you couldn't feel that. I mean, at least in the Roger Corman one, it's a very gleeful movie. They're having fun. You can feel that they're having fun making it, and they they like doing it. Whereas in the most There's recent one, everybody on screen feels tortured and everything feels sad. They in no way sadness. are ashamed of making a Fantastic Four movie. It's it's totally Ed Wood. They they mean it. They're Roger trying their Corman. best. They what may not be great, but they're trying their best. He does what he does, Roger Corman, and he does it with all of himself. I appreciate yeah, that. I don't now think anybody actually directed with... that movie. And now he doesn't <laughs> have to be saddled with the uh, notion that he made the worst Bait. Fantastic Four movie ever. <laughs> no. no. Uh, for a million dollars, which is what they made that movie for, I wouldn't be embarrassed at all. They actually made it. They finished it. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of hundred billion. Like, they spent more than a million dollars on Superman Lives, and they didn't shoot anything. The Roger Corman thing. That, <laughs> like, that was just a project to hang on to $20 million rights, right? on that. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. 
like this. Yeah, they never intended to release the Roger Coleman one. They should release it, though. There's no harm. They should release it now. Do a big Blu-ray of it. Remaster it. Make some money off it. I'd buy it. I would buy it. Well, that's why I think that the studio should just reach out and and just see, hey, why don't you do a director's cut? Why not? Because here's people would buy it out of out of curiosity, and if you're right and it's great, then you know people would be really appreciative of that Blu-ray and help us bolster the franchise, you know, get it back up. And if it sucks, we'll be vindicated because you keep going around telling people your version was so much better. And making us look like assholes. Yeah. Well, so this, we got nothing to lose by letting you do a director's cut. I, mean, I don't know that they'd ever get a director's cut. Like, did they not? Did they actually finish all of the footage and all of the uh, all of the I'm work? I'm pretty sure they. Sh- well, they didn't shoot all the scenes he wanted to shoot. But well, I'm that's sure not just shooting it, said, but the effects and everything like that. They might not have finished all of the effects and everything. So maybe, but well, uh, well, it's hard to say. He says that there is a cut of the movie that people would like. That says to me that he shot the footage. Yeah, whether or not well, they I were think finished. He shot, effects, I think he I don't shot know. it, and I think he probably edited together one that was there. Yeah, but if the it was a rough cut good. without effects, I don't know. Yeah, see, that's the point. But, you don't want to release that because then people will judge it based on the rough effects, and then he'll never get his point across. I don't know. Nerds are so weird because nerds love to torpedo something before it's even made based on prejudgment, and then they love to sort of wax nostalgic about what might have been. Like, guys, like you're the ones you're the reason there's no Superman lives. Like you understand that. Like you guys were freaking out about Nicolas Cage as Superman and all this kind of crap. Like before you ever saw one you know, the, the second of it was never shot. And now people are gonna come back and go, Would have been interesting if they'd done that. It's like, shut up. You can't have both. You can't be upset that they didn't make something because you said it would suck. When you're high-fiving about the fact that they didn't make it because you torpedoed it on the internet? I like the internet. I'm, I'm glad that people like can share and talk about things. Obviously, we do it, you know. Mm-hmm. But but there is a weird sort of sentiment where, where these fanboys think that they should have some kind of veto power. Yeah, I don't and know. In a way, I think the Fantastic getting... Four movie... Yeah. That, was affected by that. I think when this Fantastic Four movie, like when that negative sentiment came in, sort of made the the studio nervous. And I'm not saying that made it a bad movie because of what they did, but I'm just saying you can't second guess what they did because they were reacting to you. Like there is no there is no benign intervention that we have when when that negative sentiment gets out. You know, there there's millions of dollars at stake, billions of dollars. Yeah. And. Um, and it should they just make, make let people make the movie. I don't that. think we can. You can't really judge things based on what you think of the director or what you see in the stills. That's it. You've got to wait till the movie comes out and then give it a judgment. This prejudging yeah, business mean, that everybody does. That's one of the reasons I why I like, try to, I'm trying to avoid a lot of the information about things like Star Wars or the next Trek movie or whatever. Because it's I'm just sick of all these people telling me how I'm going to think about it before they've even seen it. And you don't want to get your own opinion sort of yeah. contaminated because then you'll start. And I'm totally that way with Star Wars. Like, I'm on board. I'm going to see it. I'm excited to see it. I don't want to know another thing about it. I'll go see it. And if I like it, I like it. And if I don't, you know, oh, well. I'm, I'm, I certainly hope I do. Oh, uh, gosh. Show on your new chapter in your book. 
Well, it's it's not expanded. Universe. Well, that that's that's going to be a few books down the road. My first book, the current book, is about the first movie, so it's a long. It'd be a long string of successes before I'd have to write about that. But they're doing the same, and because they're going to do comic books about that too, Greg, where there's like the journey to the Force Awakens, and I'm like, well, I'll probably buy those comics, but I bet I won't read them until until I've seen the movie. Because they'll tease things. They say that even in the comics I'm reading now. They're like, oh, in the Darth Vader comic, there's a character who just got introduced who will actually be in the new movie. It's like, what? But the Darth Vader comic happens in the timeline of the first film. Yeah. So this, so who knows? But whatever. But I, but yeah, I'm trying to keep track of that stuff without getting too, without getting too close to what's actually going on in the movie. But I, I'm, I'm excited with the new expanded universe, the stuff they're doing with it, and, and some of the, the stories they're developing. They have a Lando comic. Lando's never had a comic before. Lando! Disney made that happen. No one else did. So whatever. I don't care what anybody says. Are those comics- <laughs> I don't even care. Lando. Those comics Lando was in an episode of Rebels. That's, that's more Lando in the Disney version of Star Wars than there was in the actual original core canon Absolutely. so far. Is he still wearing Han's clothes? <laughs> No, I can't remember what he was wearing in the Rebels episode. Was, you don't remember his but, clothes, Sean? What is wrong with you? He was he was wearing the like the blue tunic kind of thing that he had. That's one of the weird things. That's one of the weird things. There's a lot of emphasis on what the people are wearing. That sort of thing when you watch these trailers and there's bits of things and people when they pick them apart, they're like, "What is that person wearing?" And that is not a proper Federation. Blah blah blah. You know, I don't know whatever. And people put a lot of emphasis on that sort of thing. Well, Star Trek's um, different. I figure when they when they <laughs> when people make these things, especially the original, they probably just like slung together whatever they had in their wardrobe, without too much thought on it. I can see in the it's case like of Star Wars, I can see where it's a bigger deal because they're changing the the uniforms in the new movie, and I'm like a little, I'm a little nervous because I'm like I don't want it to be completely different. I want I don't mind if they do something different, but you know, I don't want to deviate to the point where it's not recognizably Star Trek at all. Because the ship already. Completely different, but I don't think it was right because I, I, they say that the you know, the director like tweeted a, a a patch off the uniforms, and uh, but that patch was actually on, if I remember right, it was on some of the jackets from the other movie, so I'm I'm not. I mean sure. that's fine. I mean, I don't care. I mean I don't particularly like. I don't really care what the characters' uniforms are as long as they keep them on. Unlike some of the girls in the last Star Trek movies. <laughs> if the uniforms are actually uniform, in the first two movies, they seem to have a lot of different uniforms for different things. Yeah. Yeah, just like, I, sometimes I have on, ladies. pajama top with the, the, the Starfleet insignia on it. Sometimes well, we mean, wear it's, these it's, weird sort of imperialistic, like Nazi youth. Uh, cadet outfits that's that's a formal wear and then we have just the sort of basic jerseys like you would see the original star trek like this we don't seem like much of a military organization i don't know i think and, and i think you agree with me on this but the first 10 minutes of the movie where they're on the kelvin the kelvin is a very cool looking ship and they have very cool looking uniforms yeah and if that had been the aesthetic of the whole movie i'd have been happy it didn't have to have that nostalgic look. I thought they had cool looking uniforms that looked like Star Trek uniforms and they had a cool looking bridge that looked like a starship from Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I agree. I didn't particularly like those uniforms, but I did like the bridge. Uh, I, I hate, I don't hate it, but I do. 
dislike the uh, um, the Star yeah, Trek bridge. I'm not a fan of that aesthetic. Yeah, the, that big, that white look. I don't. I like where it looks like a submarine. That's one thing I liked about that opening sequence. Well, you know, that's, that's more like the older movies. It just looks like we're in a submarine. It makes you feel kind of claustrophobic, like you're actually trapped out in outer space. Like yeah. you kind of makes me get it. Sequence. When they're standing in a white room, it feels like a set. Feels like a sound soundstage. Well, it it to me, it just looks non-functional. I mean, it looks very. You can tell that the, the people don't work there. It's too. I mean, it's too bright. There's two, you know, all this, all these crazy lights and stuff. And then it's, I mean, it's obvious that they're just there for show. I mean, I mean, of course I know like, you know, the original Star Trek, I mean, the, the sets were crappy too, but we're, but they, but it was, you know, we're on a tight budget crappy. This is, we spent a lot of money crappy and we <laughs> over-designed the hell out of this. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of liked the black and chrome aesthetic from the old series more than the the super modern version. Yeah. In in the Abrams movies, I'd be curious to see what they're going to do though. You know, with a new director and everything, to see it it could be fun. I wish Idris Elba wasn't the bad guy. I know he's in the movie, but I wish he wasn't the bad guy. Because why do you get these great actors to just be generic bad guys? That's a waste of Idris Elba. I know. Like, he could be the captain. Like, like that's a guy. Like they're like Idris Elba could be James Bond. Like sure, he could be James Bond. Once you hire Idris Elba to be Batman, it's like oh yeah, he could be. He's just that guy. He's so just cool. Hire him to be like captain he could be Captain <laughs> Enterprise. I don't care because it doesn't have to be Kirk at this point. You know, I uh, that's been fun. But it could be a different commander at this point, as long as it's a know, fun it's Star Trek kind of story. It's hard to well, know. he could be another commander that just they can follow as well as Kirk. You know, you don't have to only follow Kirk. He can be there as well and having other people around. It doesn't have to be just Kirk and Spock all the time. It's it's hard to know. The, the, these new movies are in a weird place in the Star Trek pantheon to me. It's like, they're are they canon or not? They're, they're sort of being treated as canon by the studio and yet it seems like everybody else ignores them hmm. here's the thing in my studies that it, especially look at star wars that it, and in fact this is like going back and reading joseph campbell sort of illuminated this it's like canon is an illusion <laughs> that's what joseph campbell said he's like mythology is not interested with the specifics of the story because mythology understands that the story is a metaphor so trying to legalistically understand the story is missing the point because it's all metaphor to communicate an idea and that's the way these things as modern mythologies are too is like you can say canon but canon is is a, a, a that's a device of theology where you're trying to drive a message and say this is true and that isn't true mythology doesn't care like no matter what people say canon is if it's been introduced into the story it's part of the mythology so it really doesn't matter what we say the overall chronology or, or canon is. That's an illusion. That's us trying to drive the idea of the story. But the stories are out there. They exist. It doesn't matter what context you try to put them in. They're there. So they're real. Uh -huh. It's like the, what we were talking about sequels. It's like if they make a sequel to a movie you don't like, you just ignore that sequel because the first one in its own context is fine. But – Given that, you can also enjoy the sequel for what it is because it can't retroactively ruin the original because they're two separate things. But it's still – it's there. 
you just have to take that amendment to the mythology and go, well, this didn't alter the original story, and there is no overall canon, really. So you just enjoy something for what it is. Well, yes and no. I mean, it... <laughs> I, <laughs> I, Yes, I mean, I agree with this, you, this is this no. is really like yeah, we're establishing a chronology for something that really doesn't exist. It's all just fantasy, you know. But and that's, I I, I do agree to, with that to some point. But it it just seems like they haven't made a decision yet when it comes to this new version of Star Trek. It's like, um, yes, they're making the movies, and there's a certain amount of you know tie-in books and stuff like that along the way but they are still you know turning out content that has the original Kirk the original Spock the original McCoy sure. said the original universe you know it's it's because why wouldn't you why why would you have to replace one with the other when you have fans of one and you have fans of the other why alienate one side when you can I, appeal I to both I think of it as though they're parallel universes and they can both exist well, that's the way they explain I mean, it. Within the story, they are parallel universes. But but the the point I'm trying to make, though, is that that device of fans feeling like they have to create a chronology that makes sense. Are you doing sense archery in the hallway, Ben? It's not necessary. Don't do archery in my hallway. There are going to be stories that contradict each other. You can't I'm just decide. I'm trying to podcast. It's like... Star Wars is about the only... Star Wars is the only one I've ever seen where they actually had people get together to decide what was canon. That was the only one that, that's the most interesting one to me because that's the only one where there were people whose job it was to maintain that. Like Star Trek doesn't really care. It was only Gene Roddenberry who cared in terms of Star Trek. For the rest of them, it's just money. I think like, sometimes you can, you can get a much more vibrant and diverse community if you don't try to decide what's canon. It's like the French language versus the English language. They have a, a bunch of people in the French language deciding what is the French language, and that is canon for French language. But the English language, everybody bastardizes it, so it's a much more rich language, and a lot of more people use it. Mm -hmm. And it becomes, and yeah, and it becomes more popular because it, it's yeah, more because diverse, it, and it, and it's malleable. You can use it for all sorts of different purposes. It can be mm -hmm. adapted to different languages and have new words popped into it. Whereas when you start to get all, uh, this is what's real and this is what's not you kind of lock things down and nothing nothing can grow. Well, I think that's I think exactly I, I sort of fell into that with, with comic books because it was like, you know, the new Superman stuff's pretty cool and a lot of stuff in the new DC comics are pretty cool, but I wish they'd bring this back or I wish they'd bring that back. It's like, well, Sean, you don't own all those comics from the time <laughs> you wish they'd bring back. Why don't you just buy those comics and read them? Why, are you, why do you think that the new epic has to represent that when that exists already? Just go read those. They're available to you. Like, oh yeah, it's like this thought that the overlying, the underlying canon needs to sort of meet some kind of standard. That that's brainwashing. Like, just go back and read those. Old I think stories. it's cool. I think it's cool to to be to acknowledge that the different versions of things can coexist and both be as real as each other. I think that's a, also helpful when you're making your own creative decisions. And I think that's something I come across because when you're a writer, you have to edit stuff out of your books, you have to take out stuff that to make a coherent, coherent story. And it's really hard sometimes because you enjoy what you're writing and you enjoy those scenes. You might enjoy a different story direction that you were going to take, but you can sort of still keep it as a deleted scene and say, well, it still happens in some sort of alternate dimension <laughs> where my characters went in a different direction. <laughs> 
Yeah, and even that, you made a decision before it was released. This is weirder because, and this is modern as in like the last 30 or 40 years, probably like the last 30 years, where people started deciding, we need to decide which of these stories are true and which of them aren't. <laughs> like we I need to come up with an extra story. It's maybe more helpful to story that determines. Canon, maybe I like the idea when they say this is a canon. This is in this particular universe, and this is in a different universe. Like they do when they do you know, alternate Superman comics or whatnot. They're like, well, that's just a different universe. It's it's canon, but for that universe, so it doesn't happen with this story. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because the then you can say you can really keep you can really keep uh, a, a continuity and a chronology, which is what you're trying to do when you're doing canon. You're trying to keep you know what's actually happened in this story, so you have a context that works. But when you but say you this one's just an alternate dimension story. and show a different I mean, what could have been. It's necessary after a while for them to refresh the story and just reboot. Yeah. And that shouldn't make people think, well, they just erased all those other stories. It's like, no, they're there. They're there. But they're not being talked about in the context of the new stories because they needed a clean slate to, you know, to tell new stories. Yeah, and this chronology... Not so much. Yeah, I mean, this uh, the, the need to be legalistic is not that's not a mythology device that is irrelevant to building mythologies. Well, that's, that's because just, mythologies used to be built by oral tradition, and people used to just talk about stuff, so they couldn't yeah, really be, be as legalistic. People sharing There's a million different stuff. versions of these stories, and they matter because of that, and they live because Same of that. Same story, different lot- versions, all are true. Hero with a thousand faces. <laughs> like the girl from Pirates of the Caribbean. But I mean, that's Caribbean. the point, though. It's like if you lock it Tia down, when the, the story will die. Pierre Dharma says they're different versions, but they're all true. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's, that that works in in places, I guess. Uh, in Star Trek, you can't really. Star Trek is not nearly as hemmed in as Star Wars is, and. And I think that might be a problem and why they can't, you know, successfully reset it to the point where these new characters are are going to be. I, th- I think what they wanted to do was they wanted these new characters to lock in and be where they could use them for the next 10 or 15 years with merchandising and that kind of thing. It just seems like they haven't been able to pull that off. You know, people are still. Well, I think that they're short sighted in that because J.J. Abrams got mad because he wanted. His, the new versions of the characters to completely replace the old ones and he wanted all the merchandising and everything to follow that that's but like that, that shows a fundamental yes. misunderstanding of the fans well and it's a fin- it's a misunderstanding of the way the merchandising is handled period because you know you get different entities that own star trek and yeah there's one entity has made this new star trek movie and that that's what they want to market merchandise there's this whole other entity that is still making plenty of money off of merchandising the original series and they don't have any interest in the new movies so what is their interest in trying to combine with this other platform to just cost themselves money by not putting out products that people want I think it's that's a sort of auto control sort of thing. Like my version should be the only version because I'm the boss of this now. Yeah, that's oh, a that's, that's a fundamental understanding of storytelling at all, <laughs> because because that's what we just said. The story lives because it's so it's so flexible. Let's well, look at the example of because J.K. New people Rowling. Can come up with new ideas. J.K. Rowling but, loves fan fiction and she loves all of these ideas about Harry Potter. And people say to her, "What what happens if you know Gandalf? Oh, not Gandalf." 
Who's the guy in the Harry Potter? Dumbledore. Dumbledore's uh, who's, who's the Gandalf what is he in Harry Potter? And, <laughs> <laughs> and and J.K. Rowling encourages all of these other, other understandings of her work, and she you know, all the fanfics and that sort of thing. She's like, that's all great. We should all do that. Everybody get together and create stuff. It's fine. If you want it to live, it has to survive the creator. You know, that's what, like, now that George Lucas has officially handed off Star Wars to Disney, he's protected that legacy forever because he's ensured that it will live in an entity that's beyond one person, that's beyond the original storyteller. So that's that's what will make that live forever is well, a mythology. Very smart on his part that he did, he's never tried to, like, uh, you know, license it out to, you know, several different entities and, and that kind of thing to where when you do something like a reboot, you don't have conflicts of interest like that, like they do in Star Trek. He knew, like Disney for, you know, however you feel about Disney, they understand myth building and they understand like maintaining franchises. So they're a perfect entity to hand Star Wars over to. I remember when we first found out like your initial reaction, like what? But then you think about it for a second. You're like, well, that's interesting possibilities. About what? You, know? you had to digest it. Like Disney bought Star Wars. Well, wait a second. What could, what could be done with that? Oh, that's I was totally that could be fun. Yeah, I, mean, I think that they've been hitting out of the park with what, the, what they're planning to do with, with it as a franchise. You know, they've announced the Star Wars land at Hollywood, Hollywood studios down. In <laughs> yeah. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. It was only a matter of time. Yeah. So, that's the first thing we said is like you're gonna need a Star Wars park. Yeah, I wish they just. So, uh, it. Yeah, you got that whole park that's not doing anything. You know, that's one man's opinion. Yeah, and then in ten years when you can go, like when it's died <laughs> down, that'll be that'll be really yeah, exciting. Really. It's almost time to go see that Harry Potter park now. <laughs> now it's been out a while. Like we might could go to Universal and see the Harry Potter park. Well, we should really should talk about the the important issues of the day, which is what do we think about Miss Piggy's replacement. That's new girlfriend. Oh, well, this is such great marketing, like because it really does make you mad, and then but then it's all to get you to watch that show, and it works mm -hmm. because you're like, oh, they can't break up. What? <laughs> oh, um, did you hear about Haley Atwell uh, expressing interest in being the Doctor, playing? Yeah, because they I asked. Well, they asked her. They said, "Oh, would you like to be on Doctor Who?" And she's like, "I'd like to be the Doctor." Yeah, which is and I was like, "Do that." Course. Like, okay, like, that sounds like an awesome idea. I think it's so, an awesome Everything idea. sounds like an awesome idea. I'd yeah. do it. Whatever. I mean, what's the harm? You do it, and then you do something else. I think it'd be the, in community, they had a thing where Inspector Space Time had an incarnation where she was a woman, and all the fans hate her. It's like it was a terrible time. Everybody hates that, that that <laughs> happened in the show. But nah, do it. Whatever. It's If you want that as an icon to last forever, then try different things. It's like them talking about Idris Elba doing James Bond. It's like, try it. Whatever. Uh, yeah. I think he'd make a great James Bond. Why not? I think he'd be awesome. Yeah. I would mind seeing that his shirt on. If we're going to talk about canon, when you've got the ideas like that, that maybe they're all the different they're all different people using the same code name and that sort of thing. James Bond kind of just doesn't really care too much about that sort of thing. It just does James Bond adventures. Yeah. I, like yeah. I think as a franchise, that's a perfect representation of a mythology. They're like, you know, every few years we get a different guy and that's the interpretation of James Bond. All right. You can't. Mm -hmm. since we don't even bother with the whole Doctor Who reincarnation say, business. It's just, just yeah, works. We, just they, we don't have a legalistic explanation of this. This is just we want to keep making James Bond movies, and we understand it's been sixty years. <laughs> well, so, same, do you want to watch way. this or not? All right, I think we need to wrap like it up, guys. Doctor, 
You can listen to other episodes at tvmedita.com. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Google. Don't we can figure out how to work to Google. <laughs> yeah, if you know Google Plus better than we do, we almost didn't even get to make this call tonight. Messaging each other. How do you do without, the thing? Without Andrew. We don't know how to initiate a call without like, Andrew here. You wrote that message it. like, how do you do Google conversation? And I almost wrote, I don't know. Why don't you Google it? Uh, I don't know what we'll do next, but uh, surely the, the fall season for television is coming soon. Uh, some of these fall movies. Uh, you know what? Lynn, you need to watch some Hellraiser movies. That's what's coming soon. Oh, gosh. it's The year's just flying by, isn't it? There's like 11 of them. Yeah. So you might as well just start now. That's, <laughs> that's going to be a long retrospective. But yeah, so we'll, we'll work some more stuff up. I mean, we crossed 250 episodes, so at this point, I guess we're just not going to stop. So really, <laughs> we're just going to do whatever we Did you expect like. that would be a halting point? I don't know. It's just every night, every time we hit a milestone, we're like, Jesus, we're still on? <laughs> well, we're doing this show for us now. We're just sort of doing it. <laughs> Exactly true. It's just fun, and it doesn't cost anything, so we'll so make good. the show. Are, are you saying that because we have no listeners? Has, has something changed? <laughs> no, we have listeners, but it, it's not like we have a broadening listenership. <laughs> we have a, a very specific and eclectic uh, listener base. Well, Andrew has like three other podcasts. We, we're we going to lose him soon anyway. We better figure out our shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to stop standing him up. Yeah, like, like, guys, I've got options. <laughs> He's just got to bow out of crap. this relationship, and we're just not going to know what we were just missing out on. Use us and yeah. drop I got to show this three episodes, and we already have a bigger listenership. All right, I don't need this. I went. To, he went to Texas for a podcasting convention. Oh, <laughs> this is what happens when you name your show something that people can understand, Sean. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because we are actually going to start splitting off and we're not gonna stop doing tv at my dinner but i do want to start splitting off uh because i we have been talking about doing a star wars related podcast now this is coming up i'd actually like to do a regular star wars podcast with a new name and a new rss and everything and, and hopefully we'll appeal to that because that's a more we're gonna reboot oh, tv at my dinner you know, no, you, the TV you, at my dinner will still be the same, but yeah. but we're going to branch out. The, the, our original idea, or at least not original, but but what we were wanting to do a year or two ago was try to diversify until TV at my dinner was more like the network. And then it, that was like the one show. And then under TV at my dinner, we had a bunch of other shows like the Game of Thrones show that we do now. And in this case, the Star Wars show. And we, did, we played with Drunken Dead. Maybe we'll get back to that, but... Well, I like Drunken Dead. I miss Drunken Dead. All right. My name is Sean. I'm Greg. That's Greg. That's Grumpy Greg. And I'm Lynn. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. I'm the Carl Pilkington of TV Ate My Dinner. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs>